0: Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, L Russ. Hey everyone, welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, coming live to you from Malibu, California, in person with our very own Brad Kearns. Welcome back.
2: All right, part two.
0: Part two of Primal Endurance. We're talking about the-
2: Is this a mandatory? uh, I think listening to part one first is probably mandatory because we went off so crazy on the mindset, the attitude, being intuitive, rejecting the rat race values, all that tee-up stuff. And now we can get into some more uh, practical topics about the digital course, right?
0: Yeah, I'd probably go back to part one if you want a comprehensive on this because we're coming in on it uh, towards the halfway mark. But yeah, let's get into. We talked about mindset. We talked about all sorts of interesting things, and now let's kind of get into the diet part of it, right? Because we sorry, let's get into the the eating (laughs) strategy.
2: strategy. The eating strategy, Um, yeah. But for endurance athletes, we had to handle that. That, that elephant in the room, that big picture of being carbohydrate dependent, and the first step to doing that is to slow down because when you're at that uh, overly stressful workout pace and working out in a chronic manner, not balancing stress and rest carefully or successfully, you become even more dependent on carbs than the average standard American diet eater, Western diet eater is already because you're burning so many. So if you can slow down your pace and start building your aerobic function at a comfortable heart rate, 180 minus your age or below, and doing these fat-burning workouts, what you'll start to see is your appetite will start to normalize because you're not constantly depleting yourself and then refueling with sugar and wiring that reward center in your brain to equate sugar with ultimate pleasure. You can go do other things like fasting and have sex and have other pleasure things than, (laughs) than, than sugar. But truly, you have to unwire your your brain from being literally addicted to not just sugar, but also the gluten and the uh, uh, the gliadin protein, as Dr. Davis talks about in his book. These are known to be uh, have addictive properties in the brain. The sugar and the gluten in the wheat. So when you're having these as a the centerpiece of your diet, and you say, yeah, "I'm struggling to give up uh, my vices at night," which is my bowl of ice cream, it's literally true. Like you, you have to break this addiction. So. Um, what we do in uh, Primal Blueprint world is we have this 21-day transformation. That's the title of one of the books, and we um, you know, repurpose that concept for the primal endurance athletes is you have to make a commitment for at least 21 days, because that's how long it takes to uh, uh, rewire your, uh, your appetite hormones and reprogram your genes away from sugar dependency and trending toward becoming the ultimate goal of all the people in the primal paleo world is to become fat-adapted, competent at accessing and burning stored body fat for energy and having fat be your primary source of energy as it has been for two and a half million years for humans. And only recently have we transitioned into this carbohydrate dependency, uh, modern diet, civilized diet.
0: Let me throw out a devil's advocate for you. Don't we need glucose, Brad? Doesn't glucose need to be present in your stomach for protein to get synthesized? Don't we need glucose for the brain? I mean, these are all these objections you'll hear from people. So... Uh, I'd love to hear what uh, your opinion is. I know what it is. <laughs> right.
2: And also, um, I don't want people to fail when we do this 21-day dietary transformation. And it's really tough because we're talking about ditching all forms of grains. That's wheat, rice, corn, pasta, bread, cereal, uh, and also um, all sweetened beverages and sugar and, and uh, junk food. So when you ditch that stuff, and also uh, refined, high polyunsaturated vegetable oils, which are so damaging at the molecular, cellular level, they're very offensive foods to eat and they mess up your fat metabolism and cause all kinds of problems. And so this big three needs to go, uh, and you need to make a firm commitment to have zero tolerance to really do it right. And it's going to be a struggle, but to alleviate that struggle, and this is answering that question... Um, indirectly, but we'll get to the, uh, the human need for glucose. To alleviate that struggle of ditching these comfort foods or these sugary foods or the, the grain based diet, you immediately emphasize. Uh, the primal paleo ancestral style foods that are deeply nourishing they have high satiety levels because they're often high in fat or they're they're bulky like vegetables and things like that and so the transition can be easy if you do it correctly because basically what you're doing and what i did when i walked into this room uh let's see it's uh nine years ago Right around almost to the day is when Mark and I started working on the Primal Blueprint Project, the book, and all the things that followed. And he gave me the concept of, like, no grains and no sugars. And I already had a healthy diet, but I was eating plenty of grains. And so I said, no grains? Okay, <laughs> no like, grains. You are like, what?
0: You're making me do this? Are yeah. you doing this too, Mark? Or Absolutely. I- <laughs> yeah.
2: So I went cold turkey and completely ditched grains nine years ago. Uh, once in a while, they leap back. I have a little popcorn or blue corn tortillas on my nachos once in a while. I was keto for one hundred and forty days earlier this year, but in a general pattern, I do not eat grains at all. but to start this process out, you can 't do it half assed and expect to succeed as well as saying okay i 'm going to give it the first twenty one days with a firm commitment to get sugar out of my diet and get grains out of my diet and in place. I'm going to switch over to extremely delicious, nourishing, highly satisfying foods so that I never struggle or suffer. So for me, I had my giant bowl of cereal that I had every single day of my life, probably starting as a little kid and going through all my training days where I needed those calories. And I'd have oatmeal and granola and berries and yogurt and bananas and soy milk poured on top of everything. And I traded that in for a gigantic omelet that I made every single day, five or six eggs, avocado, uh, vegetables, salsa, cheese, bacon, and I would eat this massive amount of food every morning to help reprogram my genes away from that sugar dependency and toward becoming fat adapted. Now, after, I don't know, a year, year and a half or something, I started to realize, I woke up in the morning, I didn't need, I didn't need that omelet. I wasn't desperate for the omelet whereas if I had done right out of the gate and said instead of having your big giant cereal bowl just fast for a few hours or do things that we talk about breezily today that's not going to work as well as ma- setting yourself up for success by making it easy to transition over to I think the omelet sounds good did I describe it well enough i mean that's some good stuff <laughs> it sounds it's, way it's, better
0: it's, than soy milk it's it's, it's no big
2: trouble it's it's cereal. no big trouble to trade and then same for lunch instead of a sandwich you go have a, a delicious lettuce wrap or a big salad and for dinner you have steak and vegetables and for dessert you habituate toward delicious 85-90% dark chocolate which takes a little while to habituate.
0: Or decaf coffee with some heavy whipping cream Whatever. for a treat. Yeah. There's
2: a lot of options to make this work right. And the people that I talk to that fail, that nice little failure group, are making a mistake in the process and the approach. It's not because they're unique and their sugar fix is more is stronger than mine was, because guarantee I could eat anybody under the table, just like Mark talks about, you know, I ate more sugary foods and more pure volume of carbohydrates than many humans on the planet during those training days when I was inhaling and, and burning that many calories. So to kick that stuff quickly, your body's ready, your fat adaptation and your fat-burning genes are ready to access and, and, and help you take you to the promised land, but you have to give them a fighting chance by making a firm commitment in your diet, but doing it in a way that you never struggle or suffer. So that first 21 days you know, get the macadamia nuts within arm's reach and the dark chocolate and the almond butter smeared on your celery sticks and your hard boiled eggs and your sardines. And if you're struggling with the afternoon blues and you usually like to eat, reach for your, your high fructose corn syrup, power bar, whatever junk that you're used to eating in your drawer. If you instead have a nice, healthy, uh, wholesome, high satiety snack that's primal approved, you're gonna do just fine. It's not gonna be big trouble like we, uh, we fear that it is.
0: Well, and I will say, I mean, when I went through the the 21 days, uh, the first two weeks were, were rough because I was a strong sugar burner and I also was making some mistakes and I, I didn't know exactly what to do. I went right into fasting where maybe I shouldn't. And um, the nice thing about this, though, is that. The only true willpower that it really does take is really that 21 days. Once you get that fat at ad- that day that you realize you're fat adapted, because everybody experiences it. It's that day where you forget about food all day and you're going strong, and you're like, "Oh my god, I didn't even eat, or I barely ate," or that moment. Uh, beyond there, it takes less willpower. You don't really need willpower to keep it up. It's just getting there. It's just this transition. And I like that you're saying, hey, you've got to give this a shot. It does take 21 days. That's not a long time in the grand scheme of someone's life to completely change your stuff around.
2: Yeah, it's willpower is very flimsy weapon. Lindsay Taylor talks about this on her shows on the Primal Endurance channel. And we don't want to have to tap into that too strongly. That's why I'm saying... Um, if you're taking away something that I like and humans don't like shit taken away from them, so if you're taking away my, my, my pig trough in the morning, um, <laughs> please, please replace it with a delicious omelet. And so that I don't need willpower. Um, And I never have needed willpower at any time during my my journey to primal. And when I talk to people that fail, it's because the willpower weakens and they 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 cave into um, having a a delicious ice cream served at dessert when they're on day 17. You know what? We're all in favor of enjoying life. That stuff might happen. And it's no big deal because you're building momentum even when you backslide. If you get up the next morning and recalibrate, that's a success uh, event where you went great, you went great, you went great. And then you caved in because you went over to grandma's house and she had warm, hot apple pie with freshly home ground ice cream and you ate it. You don't have to feel guilty, you don't have to feel bad because these are games that we play that keep us mired in failure and keep us on that downer effect, the topic of your next book. Um, That kind of stuff, let's get rid of that once and for all. Let's say that we're only as good or bad as our last meal or our last daily pattern of meals and try to strive toward making that progress we're going to propose here that the easiest way to do it is that 21-day uh, restriction exclusion period to give yourself some momentum and give yourself some metabolic efficiency by, by weaning off that stuff. Um, if you're a person that likes to cut back 10% a week, and you're that motivated and disciplined, and you have your spreadsheet out, and you know your carb intake, and you're going to go from 328 carbs down 32 the first week and down 32 the second week, whatever works for you. But we have to trend in the right direction, and we can't make excuses and rationalizations and say, hey, everything in moderation. Remember that Mark Twain, um, what his comment on uh, on that uh, maxim was, he said, everything in moderation including moderation. So this is a time when we need to be strict and we need to be extreme in our commitment because we know um, our life's at stake. When we go down the road of carbohydrate dependency for years and decades, it's, very, it's not pretty at all. Of course, the excess body fat is the visible sign, but we're also talking about things baking in your blood, uh, dysregulation of important hormonal functions to the point where, and you did this in, in your book, Paleo Thyroid Solution, really well, where it's like, I don't know normal... It because m- normal is my normal, and that's all I know, and I don't know any better, and I don't realize what potential is there until I kick this shit out of my diet and have a learning experience saying, gee, it feels better not to be starving and cranky at 10 a.m., 12 noon, 2.30, six o'clock, and 9.45. You have to
0: use willpower 24-7. When you are a food addict and a sugar addict, which I've talked many times that I was on the podcast, That's why every primal blueprint success story, doesn't matter if they lost 100 pounds or cured a skin disease, the the thoroughfare is I no longer am obsessed and addicted and thinking about food. That level of mental obsession in thinking about food, that of course goes along with the hunger, is a horrible place of insanity to be. You feel like you're a crazy person and you feel like you've got this problem and you do. You made yourself addicted to glucose and didn't know it.
2: Um, That's interesting. I remember uh, you talked about that on some other show. I forget who the guest was, but um, it occurred to me at the time that this obsession with food and all these bad things that you shouldn't do, guess what? There's a reason that you're that way. And the reason is, is that your body really does need that fuel from your next meal. Otherwise, you're going to get tired and cranky and burnt out. that's very scary. And it's very unhealthy and Because you think it's inherently
0: wrong with you, right? At the time, you don't realize that you've done this to yourself and made yourself carbohydrate-dependent. So these symptoms, you think something must be wrong with me. And then when you actually do put in the willpower for the 21 days and you get fat adapted, and then it doesn't happen and you don't think about it, then you're like, oh my God, It was never me,
2: (laughs) truly. Like inherently as a human being, it was never
0: me. It's what I did to myself unbeknownst to me. Yeah. Because of SAD or the shitty diets out there and all the stuff, we were incorrectly taught.
2: Yeah, that's like Gary Taub says, um, uh, gluttony and sloth are not the causes of obesity. They are the symptoms of obesity, meaning that when you suck at burning body fat, you're going to be hungry all the time. You're going to eat too much. Even though people tell you, hey, you shouldn't eat that much. Don't, don't be such a pig. You're hungry and you need that fuel because you can't access stored body fat. So what you have is a hormonal imbalance, a hormonal dysregulation, rather than a personal frailty. That's right. And you're a fat slob and you're more lazy and less disciplined than, than the skinny person next door. So we have to throw all those dated notions out and get right into this um, situation where we need to reprogram our genes. We need to become good at fat adapted. And when you when you open up those doors, guess what? Oh, the food obsession is, all of a sudden it's no big deal. And I I can relate as an athlete because when we'd go on our bike rides, We try to pack enough food and there'd be times where there's three, four hours with no food and you have to pedal to get to the the gas station. And some of those gas stations, oh boy, I mean, we'd high five the guy when we came in because it was our (laughs) first time to get food. And when you're running low, when you're bonking, as any endurance athlete knows, it's no fun and it's scary and it's not a pretty picture and it is health threatening and it's performance threatening because if you can't pedal anymore, then you can't get to food. And so there would be a little bit of an obsession about, do I have enough food? Um, Can I space it out perfectly? when i'm competing can i get that food digested carefully or what is my stomach going to blow up that is. Yeah, it's, that's it's, stressful. it's tough. And that's right. The events are hard enough and the workouts are hard enough without having to navigate this very tenuous challenge of getting enough food and digesting it properly.
0: I remember listening to some act- actor who was getting beefed up for some role and they were talking to him about he's carried around like a cooler of meat in his car or something. And I thought, I just was like, uh, I mean, he obviously was overdoing the protein to build up to a level. Of course, we wouldn't suggest anyone do, but... I just thought that was so funny. But if you have to eat every two, three hours, right, that's stress in and of itself.
2: Um, that's indicative of a problem a with big your glucose metabolic, dependency metabolic function. Right there. Yeah. Remember that we're humans and we've gone for two and a half million years without a steady supply of food, and in many cases uh, a very uh, poor regular supply of food. So we had to adapt and build these internal uh, energy production mechanisms, particularly the ability to store fat in the first place from ingested calories and then burn it whenever we needed it. So these elegant uh, genetic mechanisms that are part of our, you know, it's our birthright to be able to access and, and enjoy these, Um, And we're shutting them off entirely by slamming carbs at regular intervals throughout the day and eating regular meals and all this nonsense that's just modern, you know, cultural constructs and becoming as a result of adverse dietary practices, particularly excess carb, excess insulin production. Oh, so you asked the question a long time ago, like, what about the human need for glucose? So there there are assorted baseline functions, especially in the brain where there's uh, a demand for glucose.
0: But not that much, right?
2: Uh, once you get fat adapted, it's less and less. Now, the brain is the highest um, uh, energy demand organ in the body by far. It's 3 or 4% of the weight. In my case, four. Many people, <laughs> three. <laughs> so it's 4% of your body weight, something like that. And um, uh, it burns 20 to 25% of your daily calories, just your brain. And your brain cannot burn fat. Your brain can burn glucose or ketones. And we'll talk about ketones a little bit later. There's so many shows about it. We don't want to get too deep into that because you can listen to the whole shows. But your but brain. Why
0: does then eating fat, even if you're not in ketosis, but why would be eating a little fat snack or a fat bomb, why does it light up the brain then? If you're, I mean, is your brain not psychological? Burning, it using it? Or like, what is, <laughs> well, what is it about that? I mean, if, you're, if your brain can't burn fat, I mean, does it need to, but it needs fat?
2: Oh, the brain's made of fat. And so the building blocks and all that, but as far as the energy, the energy that it burns is glucose. A lot of people realize that um, if you just cut carbs out of your diet, you're going to collapse and pass out because your brain's not getting enough glucose. Um, so there's plenty Which of- it's kind
0: of a false, it, it's a it's a misguided way of looking at it, right? It's like saying, well, I guess what I'm saying is because people, the objection is, but your brain needs glucose. So if you're a low carb or you're ketosis and you have very low glucose, then how the hell are you- Right, surviving right. and how are you able to make it through your day
2: yeah so let's take a snapshot of like primal living and a low carb eating person what you're talking about is an abundance of fresh vegetables um, a sensible intake of fruit uh, a seasonal fruit especially so in the summertime and the berries are here that's a highly uh, uh thumbs up primal paleo approved uh consumption of you know fresh fruit. Um, and there's the high nutrient value carbs, which we talk about on the primal blueprint food pyramid. You can Google that and take a look as opposed to the disastrously flawed modern uh, uh, American food pyramids from the uh, the dietary conventional wisdom. But we're getting... Uh, nutrient value carbs like sweet potatoes and wild rice and quinoa and things that don't stimulate that high insulin response and don't have those objectionable anti-nutrients like gluten that are contained in bread, pasta, cereal, things like that. So you're getting... quinoa
0: does have lectins, right? And quinoa can also be sometimes a trigger for people in autoimmune situations that it affects them also just like grains, same with chia seeds. So I just want to throw that out there as to tread lightly or be careful. Or if you have symptoms, maybe those are things you don't incorporate with potatoes so most people would think all right if you're going to be an athlete though even if you're primarily living a primal lifestyle and you're you're fat adapted you must need more carbohydrates than most more people like than me let's say who wasn't training right or no and if the answer is yes then does that come in the form is there is there a go-to like a lot of endurance athletes i know it's like they're doing their sweet potato every night and that's their thing what are the thoughts on that
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, this is, a lot of this is, as you know, getting deep into this primal paleo game. We have all kinds of uh, voices advocating for personal experience, personal preference, personal variation. And the more years we get into this um the more years the movement grows and builds and has more user experiences, now we're in the millions of people that are identified as paleo, um, then we have uh, this, this need for variation and personal experimentation. So you got to figure out what works best for you. But uh, as people like Dr. Kate Shanahan advocate, there is no need for the human ever to consume Refined carbohydrates, and in fact, they have been identified as very unhealthy for the body in many ways. Dr. Robert Lustig has entire books about this, and we're well down the road now where we realize that there's no reason to consume vitamin water, even if LeBron James says take it after the game. Okay, <laughs> um, and especially when you're when you're in daily life and you're not burning a high volume of calories, that's when sugar really does does poorly and causes havoc on homeostasis and and can you know, lead to disease patterns. If you're burning a ton of calories to answer your question and you're throwing in stuff into the very hot furnace, of course those are less objectionable and less likely to compromise um, your hormonal and immune function patterns. So you get a little bit of a hall pass if you're athletic and you're burning a lot of calories. How do you know where to land on this thing? When I'm talking to groups and I'm in a, in a in a ballroom, we're going to say, "Look, the first thing you do, you don't have to raise your hand. You can be a private answer, but it's like, do you have excess body fat or not?" And if you have excess body fat, you're gonna go take a fork in the road right there and you're gonna make a series of different decisions than the person who says no I'm fine look at I'm you know I'm, right, I'm Rip city
0: because you very slim you've got no excess body fat I'm looking at you right now just in my you, brain
2: again you my can
0: brain there's a lot of muscle. fat
2: there's an extra fat up there some of it doesn't work well
0: my good fat head uh, but so for you, you can consume more fat than the guy who's got a few. He needs to get down first before he can up the fat. It's just kind of how that works. Well, here, I, wouldn't right?
2: even, I wouldn't even um, make that leap yet. The first thing okay. that everyone deserves to do is to reject those refined carbohydrates out of the diet. And so when we're talking about that 21-day process, especially for endurance athletes... You're going to have to slow down. That's why we talked a whole entire show and we led off the the discussion about primal endurance with slowing down and uh, minimizing your need for massive carbohydrate ingestion to recover from depleting workouts. So once you do that, then you're in daily routine lifestyle pattern. You're training aerobically, so you're burning fat and not stimulating a high appetite for carbs. Then you give yourself a fighting chance. So if you get rid of the junky carbs and you wanna have those sweet potatoes every night or whatever you're describing that people you know have, have larger intakes of fruit or more intake of fat to make sure that you don't backslide into the refined carbs. So you're having four handfuls of macadamia nuts per day. You're eating an entire 85% Trader Joe's dark chocolate bar. They laugh at me when I buy eight of them at the store because I have to admit, I eat a crap load of dark chocolate because I eat zero sugar and zero sweetened beverages. And I enjoy other things as, a, as an indulgence or a satisfying snack. And I put almond butter on it. And it might be my breakfast some days, but it's, it. it's, it's, it's not stimulating an insulin spike. So, whatever it takes to get you out of sugar addiction and and gluten and, uh, gluten addiction for a while, we're not going to worry about whether you're gonna lose excess body fat or not. First, you have to get fat adapted before we talk about weight loss to anybody because if you're not, yeah. then you're into this high stress uh, high stress, impossible dieting I call it where. All you do is stimulate a stress response to make your own sugar. It's called gluconeogenesis. So if you cut carbs, but you're still in that high stress pattern, you're still training too much and you're not eating enough fat, your body will make sugar and you'll still burn sugar. But if you eat that large omelet in the morning, that's stimulating or it's asking you to kick over into um, fatty acid mobilization first from the food that you're ingesting but ideally after the omelet is burned through then you're going to tap into stored body fat when you get to that highest level of fat adaptation but it takes a while so we don't want you to burn through the omelet and then starve and then go binge on sugar so it might be burning through the omelet feeling a little tinge of hunger, maybe you're bored, that's a a, a big one, but maybe you're feeling a little tinge of hunger at three o'clock or or one o'clock, you have a handful of macadamia nuts, a couple sardines, whatever it is that you like, and you carry along on this fat-burning train track rather than back on the sugar-burning train track. Now, if it takes a month, or three months, or six months, or like the people you describe in your book who have serious metabolic damage from decades of yo-yo dieting and doing stupid shit like that, it might take a long time to really become fat adapted to where they're comfortable for the first time fasting only until 10 a.m. I'm fasting, it's 2.38 p.m. right now. I haven't eaten yet today. It's no problem. Same as you described, you did a high-intensity workout. Did,
0: yeah, and all I had was a, a plain green smoothie with a little bit of mc 20 oil and a little bit of whey. And that's it. And I'm, 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 going strong right
2: now. I'm not hungry. I'm fine. So, I mean, we're Are you years.
0: fasted right
2: now? Yeah, completely fasted. Yeah. I and mean, we're years down the line. Oh, I licked the spoon off. I made my dad breakfast this morning. Aren't they nice? Um, <laughs> so but I, got I'm, a
0: little oil, maybe. you know, I, I decided
2: to do a deliberate fast today to kind of, as one of my health practices that I do from time to time to kind of upregulate my fat metabolism. Oh, we'll see. That's another excellent question. Elle said all day. And it's like, here's the other thing. When you get hungry, it's a strong recommendation to go eat something because if you're if you're fighting off hunger, thinking that this is what it's taking to be primal, and this is what I heard on the podcast because I don't listen carefully. Right. Maybe I was playing the, the podcast at 1.5 speed or even double speed because I'm running so much and I have so many podcasts to listen to and I didn't really catch it. So slow down to one speed and say, look, if you're hungry, go eat something. Eat something that's a primal aligned meal so that you don't spike insulin with a high carb binge. And then we make progress down this line, progress down this line. And pretty soon, like you said on the other show, you wake up one morning, or maybe it was early this show, I don't know. You wake up and you realize you don't need that omelet. You don't need that giant handful of macadamia nuts. And you transition over. This is Mark's key line from when he does Life Talks. Everyone gets a kick out of He says, Look, you can decide you can eat the meal off your plate or off your button and thighs. And that's where the true. Uh, reduction of excess body fat and lifelong maintenance of your ideal body weight comes when you're fat adapted and you can give or take a meal rather than living or dying by your next meal. But it takes a process. You have to do it right. And you can't fool around with caloric restriction while you're transitioning to primal. We want you to be a fat eating beast where you're stuffing your face. And I'm serious that if you have to overeat just to make this stick, we do not want you going to 7-Eleven and banging the the Slurpee or the ice cream, whatever it takes. And if that means a lot of nuts and big omelets and big steaks and vegetables slathered in giant loads of butter so they're underwater, whatever it takes. And then we wake up and say, okay, um, I have some excess body fat. I'm an endurance athlete. I'd like to get it off. And what do I do now? And then you can do all kinds of fun, magical stuff like fasting in the morning until you feel hungry. And then you feel hungry and you eat. And if it's 9.37 a.m., that's fine. Go eat your omelet then. If it's noon, then you're showing yourself that you're making tremendous progress in your journey toward fat adaptation. So back to the endurance athlete, and um, you know we're talking about the endurance course and what you're going to learn. This is the stuff you're going to learn. Uh, what does it have to do with my training? I want to know what intervals I should do. This stuff, when you become fat adapted through dietary patterns, you improve, as an endurance athlete, you improve your performance on the race course because you are be- you are better at accessing and burning stored body fat because this becomes a limiting factor after about an hour or so of exercise, especially vigorous exercise. You're going to run out of glycogen. You're going to run out of glucose. You're going to need to be good at burning fat so all the or you're going to have to burn- slow down.
0: So all the sugar burners on the same trail are going to be dropping off and you'll keep going.
2: What they're going to do is they're going to be slamming their energy gels and their energy drinks, trying to... Uh, get exogenous forms of sugar into their bloodstream while the blood is in their legs or arms pumping like crazy and trying to fuel a high-intensity or medium-intensity exercise, it's not a good time to eat anything, especially sugar. So this becomes, in many cases, the performance limiting variable is how much food you can stuff down and whether it's gonna blow your stomach up like a balloon or whether you're gonna get a little bit of into your bloodstream and be able to carry on at whatever pace. But a lot of times when we're talking about marathon runners or ultra trail runners or triathletes, they get tired at the latter stages of the event because if you're going four five, six hours, uh, adventure, Spartan races, mud run people, people that are going for a few hours, you're gonna start getting tired. Now, is that fatigue from the crap that you've been doing for three hours, or is it because your blood sugar is dropping and it's really hard or impossible to tell the difference? So once you become fat adapted through dietary patterns, first thing that's going to happen is finally going to be able to reduce excess body fat Because guess what? You're putting in the time. You're burning the calories, putting in all that training in. You deserve to lose some excess body fat, unlike the person in the next cube who's a fat slob and sits there all day and doesn't exercise and eats crap. And you're sitting there going, wow, I put in 12 hours a week, but I also have excess body fat. So let's get that deal handled by becoming fat adapted first. And then you can start, let's say, accelerating your training, doing some hard workouts, doing some sprint workouts, things that stimulate fat reduction in a very short time because of your high activity level. But we can only contemplate any of these goals when we're fat adapted. Otherwise, we're in sugar burning pattern. We're going to be in high stress mode if we try to cut calories. If we try to up our exercise, we're going to be uh, uh, calling you up for life coaching and health coaching because you blew your stupid thyroid out because you push yourself burning too many calories and not eating enough.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, you know, Mark's comment about, like, do you want to burn it from the butter thighs? I actually had this thought the other day. I was driving, and I saw a very, very huge homeless person holding a sign saying, you know, hungry, need help. And and literally, my thought, and not in a nasty way, but just in, a, in more of a, like, a scientific way, my thought was, they have plenty of food <laughs> that I meant on their body. Right. Like, you know what I mean? I, I really thought about that. I'm like, if they if they actually just stopped eating right now, they'd be good to go for like a long time. They wouldn't even need any food once they started again in the ketosis. Yeah, yeah. Is that the next book? Yeah, ketosis there was a, guy, for
2: um, was a guy that was keto for or, or he starved for like a year. He just fasted. He was a 400-pound or 600-pound guy. So, yeah, it's possible. But if that person has enough, this is a good little weird analogy, but if they get enough money together to get a soda and chips every single day, they are locking that massive storage of fat in storage. So the the sign says hungry. They are literally hungry, right? And right. about to pass out from lack of calories until they slam their soda. So That's if you, because they're if a you, glucose
0: sugar dependent person, right? Yeah, and I like that idea. That's very smart. If they just go get that one. That one bag of chips and that one thing, now they have kind of sealed that deal a little bit in further. So they're just continuing on that train. They'd be better off going and buying some coconut oil, and, right, or some or, or fasting, you know, yeah, and, fasting.
2: and just starving. Yeah, yeah, when you get into starvation mode, um your body starts oh. to work really well. Um, you start to, you know, produce these ketones, which are these clean uh, energy burning fuel source that are burned like glucose in the body, especially the brain Uh, likes to burn ketones. The heart likes to burn ketones. The skeletal muscle can even burn ketones. And so um, this is kind of the ultimate stage of being a fat adapt is where you also fat and keto adapt and you can make ketones instead of glucose. So back to that discussion about the brain, you know, the brain's going to burn, I believe it's 150 grams of carbs per day uh, as its burn rate for most people. So Primal Blueprint suggests that 150 grams of carbs is your daily limit, all from nutritious sources of carbs, no need for sugar or, or even grains. So you can get 150 grams of vegetables, fruit, nuts and seeds, dark but what chocolate. What if you have to
0: go lower than that? Because a lot of times 150 carbs is too much for people or yeah. you are insulin resistant. So now again, then where where is the argument for the person that's like, well, if you need 150 carbs, then how can you go into ketosis where you're below 50 and still it's because of the ketones you're saying?
2: Um, so you get your brain requirements from 150 a day. If you don't happen to consume 150 a day, which our ancestors very often did not, like and oftentimes they can, they uh, they consume zero. Sometimes they consumed an. You hear the 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 hunter gatherers. They say today some of them consume an average of seventy or eighty grams of carbs Mm -hmm. an entire day. For reference, the average standard American diet might be two or three hundred. An endurance athlete who's training hard might be consuming four or five or six hundred grams of carbohydrates per day. So ten times ancestral example. But if you don't get up to one hundred fifty, your body can easily make the carbs that it needs from gluconeogenesis. So you convert amino acids into glucose, your brain is Is always getting a steady supply of, uh, of glucose that it needs.
0: This seems like a little bit of a dumb question. Hopefully you know where I'm going. So I, I I know that excess protein converts to gluconeogenesis, but if you and converts to glucose
2: or gets excreted doesn't it doesn't get converted to glucose unless you need glucose unless you're starving okay, for so glucose. that's
0: what I was saying. So even if you're not ingesting it, you're saying your body has that smart, elegant system to go. Oh, they need a little bit. So the salmon she just ate or the steak she just ate, we're going to turn some of this into glucose for her,
2: if necessary. If yeah. yes, if, if she needs if demanded, it. yeah. So. Okay. I think the central point here is to understand that this uh, this urgent need to have carbs at each meal or to balance your calories, the old nonsense about the 40, 30, 30 diet is so good because it keeps your blood sugar balanced, or even t- to have any necessity of balancing blood sugar by external means is nonsense. And if you don't agree with me, go back and um, look in your history books about evolution. The humans did not have external meals to balance blood sugar, only until civilized times when we start slamming carbs is when we have this blood sugar issue and this roller coaster that leads to all kinds of trouble. So the endurance athlete, they know very well the importance of keeping a steady blood sugar level. You're going out for your two and a half hour run at Salmon Falls with Lindsay Taylor's group and you're doing stuff that requires a lot of energy production. You can't drop your blood sugar or you're you're gonna fall apart. That's why you bring the gels and the drinks. But as you become more and more fat adapted, this is kind of the starting point of this discussion is that by changing your diet, you can become a faster, better performing and quicker recovering endurance athlete because you don't have that desperate need for glucose all day long as well as during workouts. And so then you start getting into this incredible realm of performing fasted workouts where you can go out there. Zach Bitter is a leading ultra runner and set the American record for 100 miles of running around a track for 11 hours and 46 minutes. I mean, amazing stuff where he's running seven minute pace per mile all day long around a track. It's, it, you know, highest level of endurance performance. And he's a keto adapted, fat adapted athlete where in his daily life, he consumes very few carbohydrates, even though he's training 120, 130, 140 miles, of week, miles per week running. That's 20 miles a day at his, at his peak. And fueling this on salmon and uh, uh, omelets and, you know, vegetables and, and fruits and those things that contribute high nutrition value, but aren't super dense carbohydrates like the athletes have been used to consuming, like their pastas. concoctions and their pastas and their cereals and their their energy troughs and all that nonsense.
0: All right. So let's say I want to be a primal endurance. Um, I want to be a primal athlete. I get fat adapted. I start to train this way. Um, if any, what if any, during a long race, let's say it's a four or five hour dealio, what am I, while the other jokers are going to be powering down some glucose gels, <laughs> what do I do? I've heard a few things. I've heard from people that switch a little coconut oil with honey. or like. So is there anything that needs to happen mid-race? Is there a point where an athlete, even primal, might go, you know, I need to pull something out of my bag here? And what would that be?
2: Right. So a race is a race. And so the goal in the race is to go as fast as you can and get to the finish line. And uh, as long as it's not illegal, you know, you're <laughs> going to take anything that's going to help you achieve that goal. So in ZachBitter.com, his blog, he has an interesting uh, entry about one of the records he set um, and what he ate, and he wrote down everything. And it was like, Half an Oreo cookie, a Mountain Dew, some almond butter, um, some coconut oil, some of this, some of that, two potato chips. You know, he just grabbed whatever he wanted and and whatever his brain told him to eat from the aid stations that they presented these ultra runs. They put all this crap out there. Um, But he was only consuming uh, 125 supplemental calories per hour. And he's burning. He's known to be burning because of the FASTER study. If you endurance geeks want to geek out, uh, do some Googling of the FASTER study. F-A-S-T-E-R, it's Fuel Adapted Substrate uh, Something Endurance Exercise. Uh, I forgot, Uh, but no, I did pretty close there. Um, But they tested these guys in the lab, so they determined their fuel oxidation rates and what the diet did for these high-performing and elite ultra runners was that they were able to burn more fat calories per minute than a control group who was eating in a high-carbohydrate pattern during life. So these guys are eating high-fat, low-carb diet, and it's revealed in their performance that they have a distinct advantage over a carbohydrate-burning athlete because they don't need as many supplemental calories, and they're burning more fat per minute. So like Zach Bitter's race, he's burning 900 calories an hour, something like that, but he's he's only consuming 128. So where's the rest coming from? It's coming from stored fat. Now, if you're a carb addicted athlete and you go out there and try to race at a high or medium rate of speed for several hours and you're burning four, five, six seven, eight hundred calories an hour and you're consuming one hundred and twenty eight, you're gonna be texting for Uber halfway through the <laughs> run, right? So it takes it's a process of becoming more and more fat adapted and you do it on two levels as an endurance athlete. You do it through um, slowing down and building your aerobic base during training and then, by adhering to a primal aligned diet that's progressing toward metabolic flexibility and fat adaptation. So in this course, we have all this training material and we're talking to the athletes and the coaches about the proper uh, methods of, uh, uh, you know, controlling your heart rate and balancing, throwing in the intense workouts and then resting from those and having a periodization schedule during the year. And then when we get into the diet component, It's not just sort of an aside as you've read for decades in training books about for athletes. And by the way, it's important to eat a healthy and varied diet with grains, fruits, vegetables. You know, this is the highest technology of endurance performance now is to use diet and leverage your dietary patterns to a performance advantage. That's
0: amazing. Um, I, I. It's going to be such a great paradigm because as we've, you've talked to many people on the show, we had Ted McDonald on our local awesome yoga instructor who also does all the yoga for P90X. And you know, he, he also fit looking good, you pillar of health, uh, adventure racer, but then high insulin. And he was like, what's happening? And he realized before he even went out for his run, he was ingesting 130 carbs just before the run. And, um, 130
2: 130 grams, 520 calories. Yes. Yeah.
0: And, you know, uh, again, it's just tapping the thing, no matter how good you look or how good you think you feel, the tapping of the pancreas is still happening. There's a silent thing going on there. You don't want to keep tapping and accessing, right? You can look good, but then there's the skinny fat problem, right? So that's that's the other area of athletes. The non-obese athletes still are going to run into this trouble.
2: Yeah. So look, look folks, um, go get your blood tested, Go to directlabs.com. Do There's deals and specials. I know it's kind of funny because it's been all so traditional till now, but it's like you can go get the deal of the month and the the male athlete panel, there's a male hormone panel, there's a female hormone panel and get your numbers up and let's see what your triglycerides are and let's see what your HDL is. Let's see what your C-reactive protein is. That's an inflammatory marker. And a lot of times these fit specimens Mm -hmm. will have crappy blood values because of their high carbohydrate eating patterns and their high stress training patterns. So it's a really serious matter we talked about in the first show and i mentioned dr o'keefe's ted talk where he's saying that your training is is messing with your heart rather than helping it after you get over to a certain threshold and that's super super low it's shockingly low in other words o'keefe and the researchers behind this are saying that um, after about two and a half hours of total cardiovascular exercise a week at a slow pace not a fast pace but two and a half hours of hiking, jogging, whatever, you max out your aerobic benefits and your cardiovascular disease protection factors. It's a very low bar to cross over. And anything beyond that is Is possibly inviting increased risk of cardiovascular disease unless you do it right. So again, if you're a hiker or you bike casually and you don't get your heart rate up and over that aerobic maximum level, you know, more is better uh, by, by, by many uh, measures. More exercise is better, more daily movement is better. So the more you can walk around and, uh, you know, toodle around and buzz around and do stretches at your desk or try the stand-up desk movement or do things like we're doing now, these little gymnastics and yoga poses that we're holding during the podcast when we're not talking, <laughs> all that stuff is wonderful benefit. But when we talk to that endurance athlete group, that highly motivated group who wants to put in more training hours, you're going past cardiovascular protection, you're burning, you're creating a demand for more dietary carbohydrates, and you're getting locked in these extremely unhealthy patterns. So we unwind this through this educational course where you're looking at videos of the experts, you're reading their material, and you're realizing a new approach here where things like reducing excess body fat come as that natural byproduct of doing things right with your diet and your training put together. So kind of to summarize a little, it's like slow down your training, Get rid of the refined carbohydrates in your diet and the bad oils too. Eat the nutrient-dense foods, and especially because when you're an athlete and you're athletic and you're busy and you're working out, um, you need more nutrition than the guy in the next cube who all he has to do today is write spreadsheets, catch the train, walk a quarter mile, um, and then walk a quarter mile to his car in the parking lot and drive home and get, get onto Netflix that night. His nutritional needs are not as serious And the transgressions from eating crap to an athlete are worse than a non-athlete. So, I mean, uh, Tim DeFrancesco talks about this too a little bit. He's the former Lakers trainer um, who was also involved in their dietary patterns with Dr. Kate Shanahan. She was the meal planner and the nutritional director for the Lakers. They had a novel program where they actually made and delivered healthy food into the locker room after the games and after practices and trying to get these guys to eat the healthy fats rather than the refined fats. And they
0: got rid of their Gatorade?
2: And they had cavita and the the, um, the probiotic, and the actually Tim had the I took a picture um, might be on the somewhere in the course material, but Uh, maybe there were no pictures allowed at laker training facility i forgot but like he had in the refrigerator glass door you open it up and the shelves were organized by how much sugar so the least sugar was on the top the water then it was the cavita, and some of the flavors have only 20 calories in the whole bottle and then it was down to a more sugary flavor and then at the bottom you had your sodas or your gatorades or whatever so the athlete in his mind can realize more sugar here less sugar here and so when we start to think in these parameters rather than how much food can I eat and get away with and all that old dated stuff that the endurance athletes thought about for so long, now we start to realize that even recovery can be optimized when you're cutting out the junk food and you're eating more nutrient-dense foods.
0: I wanna highlight something you touched on with the inflammatory markers. I was interviewing a heart surgeon today and he was saying how sometimes these, you know, fit skinny wives will come in with their fat husbands with the heart problems. Right. And they'll be like, to stop doing this. And he says he always tests them too. And he goes, sure enough, they're always super inflamed. Like their inflammatory markers are off the charts. And those are probably the over-exercise or under eaters who knows in this really bad paradigm. Um, again, so aside from all that you said, I guess the last point is, too, is just because you look in the mirror and you think you're fit and you look good doesn't mean something's not going on on the inside. Right. Blood work doesn't lie. Yeah. And
2: I'll also argue that, again, back to that Mm -hmm. concept of intuition. And this is where in a lot of the interviews I did with the great former athletes like Tim DeBoom, two-time Hawaii Ironman champion, and Simon Whitfield, the Olympic gold and Olympic silver medalist, McKinley Jones, Olympic silver and Olympic gold medalist. And we talk about the training and the big picture items. But I also had these incredible experiences with these guys where they would open up and reveal their deeper innermost thoughts and feelings about their athletic career and what they had to offer to to the viewer. And it was some pretty heavy stuff. And Simon especially talked about... He was a young guy out of Canada. He was an almost an unknown. He had never won a race on the professional world circuit, the ITU circuit. He'd never won. He'd come close. He'd got third in Newfoundland or he got fifth in Ireland. And then he went to the Olympic Games in Sydney. And not only was it the Olympics, it was the very first Olympics they ever had for triathlon. And it was a prominent Uh uh, you know, it was the it was the showpiece event because of all the beauty in the Sydney Harbor with the opera house. And so it was like the first thing that happened in the games, and everyone was watching triathlon because the other sports hadn't got going yet. And here's this guy out of nowhere with this incredible comfort behind victory for Canada. He's 23 years old and he's wearing a gold medal out of nowhere. Complete shock to him and everybody else, except Andrew McNaughton, who predicted he would do it. Um you imagine how U.S. gold medalists are celebrated, and they're on the Today Show, and we talk to the gymnast who's got six gold medals, and we talk to Michael Phelps again. And the
0: cover of Wheaties. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. In
2: Canada, there were two gold medalists in the country in the Olympics. So he went from a nobody guy riding and swimming and running and having fun in this young sport of triathlon to a national athletic hero. He started getting paid a lot of money. He started getting people paying attention to him. He started getting pulled in different directions from people that wanted shit from him. And so he had this total experience of becoming from nothing, from that guy with a pure motivation that was training and trying to compete and improve to the man. And he said it was difficult for him. And he struggled and he got off target and he got off track. And his mentality started to get harmed by the uh, extra stresses and attentions and his desire to want to please everybody and try to balance that with staying focused on his path and trying to, you know, return and win another bloody gold medal because we always want more and more and more from our athletic heroes. And so he talks through this on camera. He's never given an interview like this ever before. We're sitting on the rocks overlooking the harbor in Victoria, British Columbia. I traveled all the way up there to talk to this dude because I knew he'd have some magic to, to spread and to share to people. So, you know, back to the course that we're sort of framing this podcast around, this stuff for me That's was, the best you know, it was a magical experience to listen to this guy as a gold medal winner, talk about getting over yourself. And it's like, if he can get over himself, then you, Mr. Amateur, who's the third best guy at your local swimming pool, and you're really super caught up in how you do and how you present to others and how uh, all this extra stress comes into the picture, rather than the pure joy of the experience and the intuitive natural decision-making process, this course will have a major impact on you as it did myself. I mean, it's, it's wonderful stuff and it's off that beaten track of the mechanics because we've heard a lot about the mechanics. And I can tell you the mechanics, if you put me on one and a half speed. I can go really fast and I'll tell you all the mechanics, okay, heart rate, 180 minus your age, and don't do too much training and don't eat a lot of carbs. That's all fine and dandy. It's important to learn and understand, but to go beyond to start to reflect on your purpose for being an athlete, that's what I think is really special about all the interviews in the course blended in with all the content in the book.
0: I love that. Well, the, yeah, the mindsets are important in every way and they will trip us up or help us out depending I want to, I guess we can finish it up a little bit. I, I, you know, I know you and Mark have a a great keto book coming out in the fall, but you know, part of it you touch on in primal endurance ketosis, we talked about using ketones. You said you spent 140 days last year in in ketosis. Uh, This is, this is
2: 2017. So I was in from um, October of 2016 into April I think that's adds around 140. It was a long time.
0: Was it the longest yeah. you've ever been consistently in that state before? Yeah.
2: So for listeners not familiar, really quick, like ketosis or be in, being in this um, uh, defined state is entailing eating 50 grams of gross carbohydrates a day or less. So you're pretty much cutting out, um, you know, almost all your carbs. So my carbs came from salads, um, steamed vegetables or fried vegetables, and uh, dark chocolate. I always got to throw the plug in there. <laughs> yeah. and, and that was it, really. No fruit, no sweet potatoes, um, no little little uh, departures for a corn tortilla around my fish tacos. I just had the fish taco in the bowl. And I made this uh, experiment because we're writing the book and we're working on it. We're testing. I'm pricking my finger. I got scar tissue on my fingers from testing my <laughs> blood so much. And it was an interesting experience to realize that um, when you get fat adapted, when you get a primal aligned diet, you can take that next step And get into this um, really exalted state of anti-inflammatory, very clean burning, efficient source of internally manufactured energy where you're calorically efficient, you're getting improved cell repair, they call it autophagy, where it's the natural detoxification process in your cells, helping your immune system to be uh, updated and optimized um, another thing called apoptosis that's programmed cell death of bad cells that should be, should be flushed out, but sometimes they stick around when you have adverse lifestyle practices and they turn into cancerous cells. So it's sort of like a reset effect on your me- metabolic function and on your health to get back to this point where you're really good at fasting, you're really good at burning stored energy rather than constantly slamming your body with more and more energy because that accelerates cell division and accelerates the aging process, that overfeeding process that we're accustomed to in modern life. So the opposite would be the keto journey where you're trying to get better and better at not needing as much food to survive and thrive and feel great and be be good at burning stored energy internally.
0: Now... I've heard this sort of comment passing from both you earlier today and Mark. I know you guys both went through this really long train of, you know, ketosis and then probably cycling in and out of it. But I heard from him and you, like he was saying something like, well, if you know, I've been out of here for a couple of weeks, so I, I miss it. <laughs> and you actually said something about that earlier today, right? You were like, oh, I had a, went on a trip and I did this and that. And I kind of miss being in that. There is something about it, isn't it? What is that that people miss? I could tell you, but I want to hear from you.
2: Yeah, that's interesting thing. because um, it sure does feel good to eat a nice, nutritious, healthy, delicious meal. Uh, the omelet that I described was my morning and I loved it and it's given me all kinds of nutrition and energy. But there's another um, uh, principle at work here is that when you're in a fasted state, so when you wake up and you don't eat and you carry on for hours in a productive manner and you're not hungry, because we said, don't, don't worry about that. If you get hungry, eat. But when you're able to function in a fasted state, I feel like I'm more alert, I'm more energized, I feel good, my body's working well. And internally what's happening, this is a literal truth that you're more efficient with energy and cognitive function and all these things when you're fasted because that's your body's protective mechanism Um, from starvation throughout time and throughout evolution is we need to start working better and being more efficient when we're fasted. And the opposite would be this overfed state where you're constantly slamming junk food and you're tired and groggy and cranky and then you eat some more and you feel a little better for a little bit, but then you start to get that familiar brain fog in the afternoon. A lot of that is related to your dietary patterns and ingesting food that's not healthy for you and also ingesting too much food in general and that's Even where if it's
0: healthy food, that's even inflammatory. Even if it's healthy food. And that's what I didn't realize too. I, I just overate even healthy foods there for a while and it just didn't even really dawn on me until I learned from Mark and everyone that that in and of itself is taxing and inflammatory. It doesn't matter if you ate five bowls of broccoli and a steak, it's it can be taxing. Right, you have to
2: digest that food. I mean, when I feel like a sore throat or some type of uh, adverse uh, immune function, I will always fast until... I feel better. And another thing that does is sometimes it makes me tired so that I'm not out there trying to grind through a busy day and force myself through something where I'm actually on the verge of getting sick. I'm better off feeling feeling the full effect of that low energy state that my body's in because the immune system is being challenged and that'll calibrate my behavior toward a faster recovery rather than just pushing through on caffeine and sugar and things that give me artificial energy boosts and then carrying on until I actually am sick and have an overall lost productivity, much more so than just having a day where I'm fasted, I'm laying around, I'm not feeling great, and I'm I'm working through an illness with the best all the weapons I can.
0: Uh, Now, I mean, obviously, you've lived a lifetime of amazing athletic endeavors, but on a regular basis, since you're not training for an Ironman or anything right now, what's your what's your go to? Do you go off for a light jog? Do you have like your gym days? Do you I mean, I know you you do you you can play a bunch of sports. You do all this stuff. But like, or, or do you ever just not work out for four days in a row? Or I mean,
2: um, you know, if there's something wrong, then I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to. Yeah, it, it's it, I don't feel it's healthy to be addicted to exercise and especially addicted to a certain routine because when you get thrown sure. out of your routine, it creates a stress. So as, as, as things come to me, I want to be fully immersed into whatever experience I'm doing. So when I'm down in Mexico, which is where I was eating all this other food and now I'm fasting to try to like reset... <laughs> Um, You know, my exercise was surfing and walking around and I wasn't doing my gym routine because the weather is something I'm not used to. And I'd rather spend all my energy surfing that day, which is not a super duper workout, but it's a good workout. But I'm not addicted to to knocking off this to-do list that I have to go through my series of weight plates and all that. The one thing that I just did a video on and a podcast on was my morning routine. So you can look at YouTube, Brad Kern's morning routine. And I decided to do something every single day before I got out of bed, before I got out of my bedroom to kind of form a baseline of it's sort of a mobility, flexibility exercise sequence is very short to make sure that I do it every day without fail, no matter what, no matter how busy I am, I half of it's in bed. So I don't even get out of bed until I do my leg swings and my hamstring kickouts and all that stuff. And I, the reason I do is because when I do do my intense workouts, I want to have sort of a conditioning baseline where the workout is not as stressful as it otherwise would be if I'm just jogging and then sprinting once in a while and then jogging, which is sort of like the primal blueprint pattern we talk about. Like, yeah, and lift some weights a couple times a week, resistance training, sprint once every seven to 10 days, jog around and move frequently. So that's pretty much what I do is I jog around at that aerobic heart rate, which is really slow now because I'm an old guy and I do speed golf as my favorite competitive outlet. So I'll are you do just these
0: running in place. Like, are you just jogging? In it's place
2: really slow, spot? man. I'm sorry. And- don't feel bad listeners if you get down in those aerobic heart rates and you're barely moving you're still getting an aerobic workout by definition doesn't matter how fast you're going
1: and you're fat burning yeah
2: so. so i have this morning routine that i do that's some movement mobility exercise and then the workout patterns will vary based on my intuitive sense and when i'm in a good groove and i'm home and for example working on this book project we had a very regimented schedule because we had to finish the book really quickly so my day was about working out writing um, maybe doing a miniature movement session in the middle of the day to break up a long period of time in the computer. And these things were sort of templated where you'd find me doing the same thing every day. Hopefully, if you didn't find me doing the same thing, then it was a problem because that means I wasn't working on the book. But um, we want to build in patterns that we like and that we're familiar with and have that balance between the regimentation of my morning routine and then the other part, which is, what do I feel like doing? And is that important? gee, I feel like swimming today because it's warm and sunny in Malibu and I'm going to go out for a swim. But when it's pouring rain, oftentimes you don't feel like swimming. So stay home and do an exercise bike. That's the kind of stuff that works rather than a a program pattern.
0: Yeah. You know, I sometimes have to uh, fight that construction of go, 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 the more, the better, even though I know what we're talking about. And I had it happen to me today because I really wanted to go swimming after I did a little kind of, I did like a walk jog, little walker sprinter session on the track. I went to the gym, just did some abs, some, some light stuff, nothing, nothing crazy. And then I really wanted to go for a swim. I just wanted to feel the water. I wanted to feel, and normally I will swim for at least 25 to 30 minutes or almost, that's my max. But today I felt a thing where I was like, I've done enough. And I just jumped in for a 10 minute rinse off, you know, now normally, like, or in the past, I would have pushed myself to do the 30, you know what I mean? But knowing what we know, I literally am aware of it to where I say, no, 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 I think you've done enough. If you just want to feel the water on your body and get some cool cool down and, and you know, swim it out 10 minutes, you know what I mean? And it, it felt just as good. It did the job that it was supposed to do. I didn't need to stay in for another 20. You know what I mean, but that was a conscious decision going against a former construction that would have totally pushed me. Does that make sense? It is a total. You have to be aware of this. So, I mean, there's a little bit of willpower there in being aware of how what your intention is and and how it gets mixed up with social construction.
2: Love it, El Russ bringing it on the Primal Blueprint podcast. That's a nice way to end because it gives you the opening to make decisions for yourself, enjoy yourself. I hope people like this course at primalendurance.fit. Um, you order the course and you register and you get immediate online access to all the videos and the many, many ebooks and audio programs that are supporting it. So it's a ton of content. It's going to be a wonderful journey of total immersion into the primal endurance uh, lifestyle training methods and complementary patterns. Um, I appreciate being on the show too to talk about it. It's been a long work in progress and Hello. a lot of fun.
0: You're doing a lot of great stuff for the endurance community. Thanks again, Brad Kearns, for joining us. That's the Primal Endurance webinar course, primalendurance.fit. And you can hear Brad on the Primal Endurance podcast and sometimes this one.
2: Thank you, listeners.
1: Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of Primal Health Coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching. And we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs Primal Health Coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis the world needs you are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted experienced and knowledgeable health coaches to learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love visit primalhealthcoach.com and subscribe